Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And here we are. We're coming to the end of the 1970s. Um, Dick actually didn't publish that much in the 1970s. Um, A few very important novels and a handful of short stories. Um, This one, this story that we're looking at today, is called The Exit Door Leads In. And this is his final publication of the the 1970s. And that, that pretty much just leaves you know, a few novels from the 1980s and a handful of short stories. And and we'll kind of be able to start to, to put an end to this this podcast run. Now, The Exit Door Leads In is actually a pretty good story. Uh, I said, a f- you know, a few weeks ago when we were looking at pre-persons, that that's kind of, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of bittersweet because it, it seemed to me to be ending a period of, of kind of Dick's great short stories. But if there were to be one story that made me hesitate in saying that, it's The Exit Door Leads In which is a really interesting uh, ish, uh, story looking at issues of education, of, of institutions, and of, of like state secrets. That's a, that's a big part of this as, as well. Um, so anyways, uh, with, I'll just jump right into this story and, and give you my thoughts. But first, as always, I'll, I'll tell you what uh, you can expect to find in the story. It, you know, if you've read along or if, if not, you can, you can find a file along with my analysis by by us beginning with with a plot summary. So this story was published originally in Rolling Stone College Papers in the fall of 1979. I don't quite know what Rolling Stone College Papers is. It I you can find, you know, issues old issues of it on Amazon and the logo is the same as Rolling Stone magazine. So it's somehow affiliated with that. Maybe it was a short-lived magazine associated with Rolling Stones. I I don't I'm not sure how long lived it was. Um, but he published there. Now, you're, you're probably going to most likely find this in the collected stories of Philip K. Dick, and it can be fold, it's found in the fifth volume of that, uh, uh, the book The Eye of the Sybil, and other classic stories by Philip K. Dick. The story itself is about 16 pages, so it's, it, it's got some length to it. It's, there's a lot going on in the story, though, so I think it's, it's got a, you know, it's, it's, it's a good one, I, I, I think. So what's going on here? Well, um, Bob Bibleman, orders he's our main character here he orders a fast food lunch from a robot at earl's senior now while they wait for the order to come up the robot tries to upsell bibleman into buying a ticket for a contest first prize in this contest is the right to attend college at two trillion to one odds bibleman buys the ticket and wins he knows immediately it is set up in order to draft him into, the, into a military college for accepting the award is, is mandatory. So Bob Bibleman arrives at the military college and thinks about his life, which was not so bad before. He had an apartment, he had a decent job, he had a girlfriend before he was suckered by this robot into attending what in effect is a glorified forced labor camp. It was kind of offered up as a lottery, of course, but in fact it was a rig lottery that just basically drifted people into, into the military. Um, bear in mind, this story is is written well after the Vietnam War period, but that's certainly 
you know, the Watergate stuff, the Pentagon Papers, that stuff is not that far back in history when this was written. So the, the kind of anti-draft philosophy is, is, is going on, anti-conscription is going on here in Dick's mind. Now, Bibleman asks his superior, Major Castles, if he can avoid going, if he can get out of this somehow. And Castle confirms that they would have gotten him some way, if not the lottery, they would have found some other way of getting him into the military. So people are basically doomed to enter into this, and the system has different ways of, of basically blackmailing or hijacking people into, into the military. Now, Bibleman completes a set of entrance exams. He begins talking about the school with another new student. You know, they're actually conscripts. It's a red-haired girl named Macy Lorne during the orientation sessions. During a lecture by Major Castles about what information is considered classified and what can be openly discussed, Mary interrupts the lecture to complain about the commonplace knowledge required to mine titanium. Mining Wurzitz, which her father discovered, would be a more impressive achievement than mining titanium. Now, Castle avoids this and moves back on with his lecture. You know, just got the annoying student asking annoying smart alchemy questions, so Castle's able to move on. And he gives an example of the Panther engine, which must be remained secret as an example of a state secret. The system is set up to destroy any information it gets about the Panther engine. Each student is assigned a different area of study for projects. Bibleman is assigned cosmology and cosmogony pre-Socratic. Bibleman doesn't even know what all this means. He, like None of these words make any sense to him, much less what use it will have for his career. So later on, Bibleman is busy studying pre-Socratic philosophy through a computer terminal. He's very bored by this, but the computer reminds Bibleman that he will be sent for jail if he fails college. The terminal recommends that Bibleman study Empodocles. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. E-M-P-E-D-O-C-L-E-S. He says Empodocles might be more interesting to him than whoever he's studying at the time. Empodocles is thought dealt with the tension between love and conflict. During this study of this thinker, the schematics for the Panther engine appear on the terminal. And this was that secret project that was given as an example earlier in the lecture as something that a state secret that, and how secrets can be you know, preserved. He then prints it out and he wonders what to do with this information. Bibleman then talks to Mary about coming across the Panther engine schematics. Bibleman did not understand the documents, but he knew enough to identify it as a cheap and a near infinite source of energy. Bibleman has a dilemma then. He could destroy the information, inform the authorities, publish the results for the public, or sell the schematics. So he's got all these different choices. He thinks that it was perhaps industrial pressure that led to the suppression of of the Panther engine, right? Like a fossil fuel lobby or something like that, the equivalent, you know, suppressed essentially this form of green en uh, energy. Now, two military guards eventually escort Bibleman to see Major, Major Cassell. Cassell begins questioning him about this course of study and then starts questioning him about the Panther engine. Bibleman explains that they came upon it by accident. He just was researching Empodocles and found these, these schematics. Castle assures him that he's not going to be punished if he returns the copy that he printed out. Bibleman decides that he must think about what he's going to do. After debating what he should do, he returns with the schematics and delivers the only copy of this to Cassell. Cassell then immediately expels Bibleman from the college. He's failed. Mary enters and tells him that she's truly a representative of the school and that the Panther engine schematics was the way that they test all students eventually. So it's basically a test that all students are forced to endure. Bibleman failed because he submitted to authority instead of thinking for himself. 
Back home, Bibleman buys a meal at Earl's Seniors, and when the bill comes up, he refuses to pay despite being threatened with going to jail. As Bibleman walks away, the robot mentions how proud he is of Bibleman. And that's that's the story we have in The, the Exit Door Leads In. All right, that's all it is. Um, so it's about authority and whether one should submit to authority and institutions. And in a way, the story is quite optimistic because it seems the this particular school in this particular state doesn't want lackeys. It doesn't want people who just accept blindly accept authority and blindly do what the robot says, blindly do what the system and the authorities say to actually think for, for themselves. Um, the story was written in 1979. It was written not long after the Watergate scandal. Um, of course, the Pentagon Papers were leaked sometime prior to, you know, in the early 1970s, forget the exact year, during the Nixon administration. And then, you know, that led to the Nixon's fear of of leaking and, and led to the, the plumbers and all that stuff that eventually led to the Watergate scandal. So there's that whole history there that's in the not far, not that distant past uh, when Dick was writing this. And I, clearly we have with the Panther engine uh, an example of a leaked military secret the same way the Pentagon Papers. It was a secret of a very different type, but still something that, that seems to present, present a threat to the authority of the state. Now, in this story, Bob Bibleman enters a military university. Now, notice here, Dick can't get away from using religious terminology. I mean, it's a kind of silly one here, Bob Bibleman. But as we saw in Mr. Computer, you have the initials JC. And that's something that comes up a lot in the stories and novels written in this time in his career. Now, he enters this military university, basically coerced into it. During his early days there, he's told that classified secrets will come into his possession during his time there, but that since the school's military, students who leaked the information would be tried under military courts. Everything about his early days in the school taught Bible men that he was expected to respond to authority with deference and submission. Even his choice of specialization, he just accepted whatever was chosen. He didn't resist it. He didn't say, I know nothing about pre-Socratic cosmology. It's stupid for me to study it. It doesn't have any military applications. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, okay, I'll figure it out. So from the very beginning, despite not wanting to be in the, this military university and feeling hoodwinked into it, he simply goes along with it as if he has no choice. Now, he, re, he re, receives as his specialization this esoteric field of pre-Socratic cosmology. During his studies, he comes across the plan for the Panther engine. Bibleman then faces this moral dilemma. He could oppose the authorities of the school and release the information, becoming rich, but that seems to work against his training. He eventually returns the plans to the school. Uh, one more thing, he could, he could use the Panther engine in theory to, to improve humanity, right? not for his own perfect profit, just for the good of mankind, right? But he eventually returns the plans to the school and is expelled. The conclusion of the story is a more banal because the discovery of the state's secret plans is only a test to see if Bibleman is a subservient figure or not. He learns his lesson and later breaks the law by refusing to pay for a fast food meal. But his natural subservience takes over again and he pays the robot for his meal as an afterthought. For Dick, Bibleman is one of the most dangerous people in the country, at least until he learned his lesson. It's a powerful point that Dick makes when he shows that the total subservience that that makes is what makes Bibleman useless to a military college, right? Yeah, you want people who follow orders, I suppose, but someone who's just so completely mindlessly following orders is also a dangerous figure in the military. You know, it requires, a, I guess the suggestion here is it requires at least a baseline of critical thinking. Um, 
The story is also a powerful commentary, I think, on education. Uh, Mary, when lecturing the expelled Bibleman on his failures in the test, talks about the real role of educational institutions. She says, quote, the covert message of institutions is submit to that which you psychologically construe as an authority, end quote. A good school trains the whole person. It's not a matter of data and information. I was trying to make you morally and psychologically complete, but a person can't be commanded to disobey. You can't order someone to rebel, end quote. I mean, that's a contradiction, isn't it? If you order someone to rebel, you're essentially, you know, ordering, you know, then they should not, I guess, then not rebel, right? If you're, someone orders you to rebel and you don't rebel, then that's the, that's the, you're disobeying the order, right? And that self would be a rebellion. It's a bit of a contradiction. Now, when he learns about the true purpose of the school, which is basically a way to test people whether they are subservient or not, Bibleman lets go of his resentment towards being forced into the school and wants to stay. He actually is almost converted and he, and he wants to fight for his seat at the table. It is, however, too late for him. He's already proven his subservience. His rebellion will need to take place outside of the school doors. And he starts immediately after that with by stealing a meal. So I guess that's it. I, it's, it's a much shorter episode than I even thought. I, I thought I'd have a little bit more to say about this story. But um, I find it a bit odd, given what we know about Dick and his views of education and his views about institutions, for him to have a story at the end where you have an institution that seems to be encouraging people to rebel. It doesn't seem quite what we're used to experiencing and reading about in Dick's stories. We're used to institutions being much more authoritarian and bureaucratic. That might show some evolution in Dick's thought. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I do think it's a kind of a clever story idea where you use you use this issue of like, like a military wouldn't want people who are so subservient that they never rebel, right? You, you probably don't want anarchists in the military, uh, although there are historical examples of anarchist militaries, you know, being fairly effective, like in the Spanish Civil War. Um, but you know, in general, we, we you know you need discipline for for in hierarchy for military to to function at least as we typically understand them, right? But at the same time, you don't want people who are too subservient. Uh, I think another thing here is it really seems to connect to the Pentagon Papers and the idea of the morality of leaking documents and the the in the kind of the broader necessity of people to to resist the institutions they're in it's what i think what dick adds here that's an interesting twist is that the institution seems to want people to to rebel um other interesting things here i guess is the various ways that they cove you know hoodwink people into the military they in this case in bibleman's case it's this lottery ticket but they as they explain they have other ways of getting other people so you know they they have ways of conscripting instead of just straight up drafting people they find Sneaky ways. And there's some truth to that, too, in our own world, right? Nixon got rid of the draft, you know, basically because a lot of the resistance to the Vietnam War came from the draft and conscription. But there's certainly other ways of getting people in, right? Economic ways, you know, are, are one big one using um, secondary education to kind of convince people to, to move into the military. So there's there's... There's all these strategies that states still use, even we have a so-called volunteer tier military. So um, that that does it for the exit door leads in. Um, of course, the story that itself is a contradiction, like the, the whole narrative of the story, the whole twist of the story is a contradiction. Um, so that does it for uh, Dick's um, short stories written in 1870. 
in the 1970s. It, it does it also for all the novels Dick wrote in 1970. So, so we're done with this season or this, this period of Dick's career. And this allows us to then, in my next episode, to begin our look at Dick's uh, final years of, of writing. And that will really center around the Vallis trilogy, um, the three novels he wrote starting with um, Vallis and then The Divine Invasion and then The Transmigration of Timothy Archer. Uh, we'll also look at Radio Free Albemuth, which uh, connects to those themes. Uh, in the realm of short stories, there's three short stories he wrote in uh, 1980. There's actually one more, but that story actually is a... How do I want to say it? It's actually just passages from The Divine Invasion, so I won't look at it as a separate episode. I'll just reference it when we look at uh, The Divine Invasion. And then there was one story in, uh, in 1981. So that's what's coming up in future episodes. Um, we'll just jump right into the 1980s next time. So as always, thank you so much for listening. So, but if you have any of your own opinions about, you know, to what degree should institutions encourage disobedience or do, you know, institutions require total obedience? I, I mean, we got Dick being a little bit more optimistic than we're used to seeing him here. And, and maybe that's good. Maybe we, we need that side to him. It is a clever story. I, I like what he did in this story. I don't think it's one of his greats, but it's it's one of the better ones of, of his the late short stories that he, that he wrote. So, but if you have your own opinions about this, please leave your comments below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And I will, I'll be back next time and we'll be squarely in the 1980s. So as always, thanks for listening and supporting this podcast and I'll, I'll talk to you next time. To feel these changes.